Well, good afternoon, Samuel. It's good to be here and to continue our discussion on the Ten Commandments, which you started last week. Yes, indeed. We uh, we started to look at the Ten Commandments. It's going to be uh, a series we're going to do uh, for probably a number of weeks. Yeah, and you actually finished last week. You were sort of giving us a bit of a foundation as to how we are to look at the law, uh, the law of God, and then you, you sort of finished off saying that there are two laws in the Bible. There's the law which God gave himself that he wrote physically on the stone with his own hand. Uh, so that's the Ten Commandments as we know it. Yep. And then there's the covenant laws which he dictated to Moses that Moses in fact wrote down yes. and that became the laws that um, that governed a whole range of things that happened within the, the, is, you know, the, the community at the time. So did you want to go back a little bit over that or fill that out a little bit more for us so that we fully understand what we're talking about? Yeah, uh, it's actually important when we, uh, as we talk about this, because I wanted to delineate the difference between the eternal uh, law of God, so the moral law, the Ten Commandments, mm. and the ordinances that were given uh, as a covenant between Israel and God. And so if we want actually to do that out of being able to uh, respect scripture, I think it's good for us to read it. And so if, if I did say that everybody could open their Bibles and they could, they could get, if you get it, open Exodus chapter 20, it's going to be quite a bit of a reading there, but I think it's important because I can't just make a claim without us having to nut it out. Because when I, last time, you know, I gave the, the text in Deuteronomy, but uh, the text itself, wasn't as clear. It seems though it was talking about this, the Ten Commandments altogether. So somebody may have said, well, that doesn't seem to make a, a lot of sense. So let's go and open Exodus chapter 20. And if you read Exodus chapter 20 from verse 1 to verse 17, mm-hmm. which is where we're going to sit as we do, that's the Ten Commandment. All of it. Yeah. Read right there. And it sort of highlights, you know, the, the events that followed this entire discussion. Now, once you get to verse 18, which I'm going to start reading, uh, so the Ten Commandments has just been, you know, God has spoken them. Yeah. And verse 18 of chapter 20 of Exodus, when the people saw the thunder and the lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain in smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at the distance and said to Moses, Speak to us yourself, and we will listen, but not to have God speak to us, or we will die. Verse 20, Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. God has to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. The people remained at a distance while Moses approached the thick darkness where God was. Then The Lord said to Moses, Tell the children of Israel this. You have seen for yourselves that I have spoken to you from heaven. Do not make any God to be alongside me. Do not make for yourselves gods of silver or gold. Make an altar of earth. Make an altar of earth for me and sacrifice on it your burnt offering and fellowship offerings, your sheep and goats and your cattle. Whenever I cause my name to be honored, I will come to you 
and bless you. If you make an altar of stones for me, do not build it with dressed stones, for you will defile it. If you use a tool on it, and do not go up on my altar on steps, lest your nakedness be exposed. Let's keep going. Uh, we're going to read uh, verse uh, 20. Um, yeah, so let's, let's keep uh, chapter 21. Now, uh, if you buy a Hebrew servant, he is to serve you for six years. For the seventh year, he shall go free without paying anything. And if he comes alone, he is to go free alone. But if he has a wife, when he comes, she has to go with him. All the, um, if his master gives him a wife and she bears him sons and daughters, the woman and her children shall belong to a master and only the man shall go free. But if the servant declares, I love my master and my wife and children and do not want to go free, then his master must take him before the judges and he shall take him to the door or the doorsteps. And peace is here with an owl, then he will be his servant for life. If a man sells his daughter as a servant, she is not to go free uh, as man's servant do. If she does not please the master who has selected her for himself, he must let her be redeemed. She has no right to sell her to the for- he has no right to sell her to the foreigner because he has broken faith with her. And, and so you can continue to read. The reason why I'm reading this, you can see these are the rules that God gives to the children of Israel on how to live within a nation. Mm-hmm. So you can read all this all the way. Uh, and let's get to, you know, I wanted to sort of give, you know, verse chapter 22 talks about pro- protection of property. Uh, you know, uh, verse 1 and from verse 16, you have social responsibilities. And when you get to chapter 23, you know, laws of justice and mercy. And you get to um, your verse, uh, chapter 23, verse 18, uh, you get there is the laws on, of Sabbath. So how to do, what to do on Sabbath and so on and so forth. And then you, you get to the type of festivals. And... But I want to, I think what I'm looking at um, is, let's read uh, chapter 24 from verse 1, and you will see something that happens here. Then he said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, uh, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel. You are to worship at a distance. But Moses alone is to appear, uh, to approach the Lord. And the others must not come near, and the people may not come up with him. When Moses went and told the people all that the Lord's words and laws, they responded with a one voice, everything the Lord has said we will do. Moses then wrote down everything the Lord had said, he got up early the next morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and set up 12 stone pillars uh, representing 
the 12 tribe of Israel, then he sent young Israelite men and they offered burnt offering and sacrificed young bulls as fellowship offering to the Lord. Moses took half of the blood and put it in a bowl and the other half he sprinkled on the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant that is just written and read it to the people. They responded, we will do everything that the Lord has said. We will obey. Moses then took the blood, sprinkled it on the people and said, this is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Now, what's the point I'm making here? I made the earlier point that when he came to the Ten Commandments, God wrote them himself. Yes. Moses went to God, and God wrote the Ten Commandments. And so, when he came down to the, from the mountain, and he found them worshipping a golden calf, he broke it. That's the succession of that story. Mm-hmm. So, he broke that, and God told him, go and get again stones, we read in Deuteronomy, cut them up, bring them back to me, and I will write the Ten Commandments again. So God wrote the Ten Commandments himself. Pretty amazing, really. But the Book of Covenant was written by Moses. Mm. It was sanctified by the offering and by the blood that was sprinkled as a covenant between Israel and God. If one does not differentiate between these civil laws and ceremonial laws and property laws, that then ended up governing the nation of Israel as a body of laws yes. to which they had to abide for the covenant to stay, for the covenant to be. Mm. And if somebody doesn't understand that that's the body of the laws, that then ended up with 611 laws that the Jews had to... Right now, rabbinical Judaism is still obeying these laws. And see, when you hear the New Testament saying law, law, and Christ is, you know, you know, fulfill the law, and the Gentiles don't need to abide again by the law, it does not mean not abide by the Ten Commandments. It means we are not bound by the civil, the ceremonial, and the food laws of Israel. That is a thought worth holding really tight on. Yes, <laughs> that that exactly is, and it's uh, it's it's completely different, and sort of sheds a, quite a, a different light on um, what people have been interpreting that this uh, this actually means, and what it means for the early Christian church. Well, we'll come back and we'll discuss. Uh, that a little bit further and uh, and get right into the uh, Ten Commandments just after this great song. You're listening to 105.1 Life FM, Bendigo's Positive Choice, and we are continuing a discussion on the Ten Commandments. And Samuel, you're, um, you've been differentiating between the law, that the moral law, which God wrote himself, and the law, which is the uh, covenant law that... God gave to Moses and that Moses actually wrote down and then uh, read out to the people, which they then responded and said, um, we will do as the Lord says. That's exactly right. Now, to sort of be able to make uh, those points that we've been making, 
Uh, I want to sort of turn to uh, scripture again, and so that you can you can see if you open Exodus chapter thirty one, uh, from verse eighteen, when the Lord is finished speaking to Moses on Mount Sinai, He gave him the two tablets of testimony, the tablets on the stone, inscribed by the finger of God Himself. Mm. Yeah. All right. God wrote the Ten Commandment. Moses wrote the law of Israel, the covenant between God and Israel. Let that be, be sort of remembered. And if you want to know, Moses broke those, and after he broke them, he went back to God. Exodus chapter 32, uh, verse 19. So if you turn to Exodus chapter 32, verse 19, very quickly. And when Moses approached the camp and saw the calf, and the dancing, his anger burnt and threw the tablet out of his hands, breaking them into pieces at the foot of the mountain. So we, we know that, that particular episode. Now, what happens after that? If you continue to read the story, then Moses goes back to God, who writes again the Ten Commandments with his own finger, Exodus chapter 34, from verse 1, which you can read. The Lord said to Moses, chisel out two stones of tablet, like the first ones, and I'll write on them the word that were on the first tablet. I will write them on them, which you broke. So be ready in the, mo- in the morning and then come up on Mount Sinai. Present yourself to me there on top of the mountain. No one is to come with you or be seen anywhere on the mountain, not even the flock or the herd, many gaze in front of the mountain. So Moses chiseled out the two stones tablet, like the first ones, and went up to Mount Sinai in early hours of the morning, and the Lord had commanded him, and he carried the two stones tablets in his hands. Then the Lord came down on in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassion and the gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in love, faithful and maintaining love to thousand generations and forgiving wickedness, rebelliousness and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation. Moses bowed to the, to the ground at once and worshipped. O Lord, if I have found a favor in your eyes, he said, then let the Lord go with us. Although this is a stiff-necked people, forgive our wickedness and our sins and take us as your inheritance. Mm-hmm. So you, you notice this, this is an entire... For those who have always thought that the God of the New Testament was not you know, kind and loving... Yeah, he's a, he's a kind and loving God. And so Moses took this tablet and he took it to the mountain and God wrote on the tablet with his own finger. So this establishes, therefore, the theory that I have been basically defending so far, that when we hear the law, because you see, when you're reading the text, you have to at least assume or understand as part of your hermeneutical uh, a principle and approach 
that the author of scriptures talking to their audience will have or will know things that the audience already know that they can't they don't need to repeat themselves. Okay, yep. You see the audience know that already or knows that already. Mm. So this is why often the author doesn't have to repeat it himself because they already know. And I'll show you some some examples so you, you can see. Today we may need to explain certain things, but it was not lost on the Jews when the authors wrote it. For example, um, when you go, the question is, what exactly that is the new Christian te- uh, believers supposed to follow from the Old Testament, right? I'd simply say that what the believers need to follow from the Old Testament is every teaching of the Old Testament apart from the covenanted law, civil law, civil ceremonial and property laws that were established as a covenant between Israel and God. This question arose uh, you know, at the, in the early church. In the early church, yeah. as Apostle Paul started to preach the gospel to the Gentiles, remember Peter opens the gates of the gospel to the Gentiles, and then uh, Paul starts to go to the Gentiles, and he preaches, brings a lot of Gentiles into the fold. And so the question arises to people who were Jews who insisted that the new believers needed, pardon me, needed to follow Mosaic law. Yes. They needed to follow Mosaic law. Mm. And so it became a big contention. Some say, well, you have to be circumcised and you have to observe all the festivals and, and so on and so forth. So the matter came all the way to the first council of the church, which was the Jerusalem council. And here is uh, what we read from the Jerusalem council. Now, so where are you reading from? Act of the Apostles, chapter 15. Mm-hmm. It's actually say the council at Jerusalem. Some men came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching to the brothers that unless you are circumcised according to the customs taught by Moses, according to the laws of Moses, um, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute dispute and, and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed along with some other believers to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. The church sent them uh, on their way, and as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how Gentile had been converted. This news made all the brothers very glad. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostle and the elders to whom they reported everything God had done. Through them. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, The Gentile must be circumcised and required to obey the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders met to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel, and believe. God who knows the heart showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. He made no distinction between us and them, for he purified their heart by faith. Now then, 
Why do you try to test God by putting on the neck of the disciples a yoke that neither we nor our fathers have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that we are saved just as they are. The whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the miraculous signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. When they finished, James spoke up. Brothers, listen to me. Simon has described to us how God at first showed his um, concern by taking from the Gentiles a people for himself. The word of the prophets are in agreement with this. As it is written, after this I return, I will rebuild David's fallen tent, and its ruin I will rebuild, and I will restore it, that the remnant of man seek the Lord, and all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord, who does these things that have been known for ages. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from meat of strangled animals, and from blood. For Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times and is read in a synagogue on every Sabbath. So finishing there, verse 23, Then the apostle and the elders with one all, uh, the whole church decided to, to, uh, decided to choose of them their own man and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They chose Judas, called Barsabbas, Barsabbas and Silas, two men who were leaders among the brothers. With them they sent the following letter. The apostle and elders your brothers to the Gentiles believers in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia. We have heard that some went out from us without our authorization and disturbed you, troubling your mind by what they said. So we all agreed to choose some men and send them to you with our dear friend Barnabas, uh, Barnabas and Paul. Men who have risked their lives uh, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, we are sending Judas and Silas to confirm by word of mouth what we are writing. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirement. You are to abstain from food sacrificed to idol, from blood, from meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality, you will do well to avoid these things. Mm. Yes. You see, the principle is very simple. Anything that is prohibition in the New Testament, that comes from the Old Testament, must be prohibited, must be clearly stated prohibited. Mm-hmm. I've seen these mistakes, all those who argue against tithe and everything else, they argue by this assumption that as long as it was in the, New Test- in the Old Testament, we can just dismiss it. Yes, I do. Well, no, that is not the principle was, unless the New Testament deliberately prohibited. So the law of Moses, as it was the ordinances, everything else is summarized by the apostle in that statement. Yes, that's right. Food law, civil law, and ceremonial law 
out. But then they say sexual immorality. Guess what? That's part of the Ten Commandments. Yes, that's right. They thought it was necessary to mention that one and not mention all the, the others because that is already assumed. Mm. They, didn't, they didn't need to say to them, hey, look, don't worship other gods. They didn't say, well, don't you know, honor your father and mother. This is already assumed. They looked at the things that the Gentiles were already prone to do that violated the eternal law of God. They said, okay, don't do that. Okay. Yeah, that makes complete sense. Yes. Yeah, it makes complete sense. All right. Well, we'll, uh, we'll take another small break and uh, we'll be back with more after this song. You're listening to 105.1 Life FM, Bendigo's Positive Choice, and we're having a very interesting discussion around the Ten Commandments and what is relevant to the new church um, that has come out of the Old Testament. And one of the things you were saying, Samuel, is that if it's not, if it's prohibited in the New Testament, then it's prohibited. Yes. But if it's not prohibited, we are to assume that what was in the Old Testament is still relevant to us today. Yes. So unless God has been very specific, like he did with um, the food thing, for instance, when yes. Peter saw the sheet coming down yes. with all the unclean animals, that, that there are certain things now that God has said don't apply but that doesn't mean that everything that was a rule or a regulation in the Old Testament no longer applies. Yes. It's only the things he was very specific about, which you've just read through um, as part of um, the Acts of the Apostles in that uh, Jerusalem Council. That's exactly right. One of the biggest mistakes that's been made by New Testament Christians, you know, it's, it's, it's across the board from the Pentecostal to the Reformed, to the, you, know, you know, all the, you know, uh, if you will, Protestant churches. Uh, they, they have assumed that unless it is affirmed in the New Testament, then it is not relevant. Yes. No. Which is backwards, isn't it? That is backwards. Unless it is explicitly prohibited, remember Jesus was a Jew. Mm. This has been the consequence of basically uh, the, the, uh, the church over time, especially the church in the West, the church in the West, after the split between the Eastern and the Western church, the church in the West became Western-centric. So they basically plucked Jesus out of his roots. So Jesus became basically Western, yeah. right? Yeah. And so they read the New Testament. They didn't understand the Old Testament anymore. And some even went as long as they say, we don't need the Old Testament anymore. So they'll say, well, if there's anything in the, in the Old Testament, unless it is affirmed in the New Testament, then we can't do it. But they forget that Jesus didn't have didn't need to repeat the Old Testament over and over to the Jews that were his disciples. He was a Jew. His disciples were Jews. Yeah. They were talking to Jews. Exactly. Yeah. So very often, this is why things like somebody like, but you know, but Jesus never spoke about tithe, for example. You know, I'm, I'm gonna take the, the question on tithes because it's it's one of the it comes on and on and on all the time. Mm. You know, Jesus needed not to repeat that teaching. The, the 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 Jews all think about it when you read in in Matthew I'm not going on a tithe here but you know he said well you know you 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 want to to pay the mint and the tithe and you neglect the weightier matter of the law then he goes on to say you ought to do the latter without forgetting the earlier in other words do tithe do mint do everything else but also you know, do the way the matter of the law, which is what is to do with the moral law of God. Okay, yep, yep. so mercy and grace and so on and so forth, which were things. Remember when God shows up to Moses, and he's coming, passing. What is he saying? 
the Lord, the Lord, gracious, merciful, compassionate, abounding in love, forgiving his people. That's what the Lord himself is saying. For those who want to think that God in the Old Testament was not merciful and forgiving, as I've said. So that's what the Lord said. Those were the weightier matter of the, that's what the law is all about. Yeah. The love of God, the grace of God, that's what the law is about. I'm talking about the Ten Commandments. Yeah. So in that sense, let this be established as this is the hermeneutical principle. Unless it is explicitly forbidden by the Old Test- New Testament. Yeah. Unless the New Testament say, do not do this. Now, don't go by argument by silence. You know, the you know, argument from silence is like, well, the New Testament says nothing about it. Well, because it didn't need to. Because mm. people assumed. If somebody said, well, look, anyway. uh, what did Jesus say about gay marriage? Nothing. When it didn't need to. Mm. He said sexual immorality. That's the point I wanted to make earlier. You see, when Jesus said to his audience, or the apostle said to the, his audience, stay away from sexual immorality. It means if there is a sexual immorality, there is a sexual morality. Yeah. And sexual morality was already set up in the book of Leviticus 18, Leviticus 20, 22. So every Jew knew what sexual morality was. Yes. So when he says, hey, stay away from sexual immorality, because he didn't need to tell them what sexual morality was. Mm. Sexual morality was marriage between a man and woman, and that's the only context within which it is consummated. Yeah. And the girl and the boy had to be virgin until they get married. Mm-hmm. It was that simple. Yep. You see? Yep. And so for somebody to say, well, Jesus never said anything about it. Well, he didn't have to. So don't argue from silence. Yeah. Don't argue from arguing from, from, from silence are bad, terrible. There are all sorts of things I can show you. Jesus never said anything about it. He didn't need to. Mm. All right. So in that sense, we have established the principle. Now let's get back to starting the Ten Commandment uh, in a time we we have got. It's going to be the introductory note to uh, the entry point to the Ten Commandments. So it'll be fine. We've got enough, enough time to be able to do that. Yep. So turn your Bible to Exodus chapter 20. And I'm going to start. Uh, this is going to be very, very good, very important for you to, to know. Let's, um, let's read verse 1. Exodus 20, verse 1. And God spoke these words. Why am I reading and just stopping there? Because this is the introduction to the Ten Commandments. Yeah. You see, when you ask the Ten Commandments in the Jewish tradition is different from the Ten Commandments in the Christian tradition. In Jewish tradition, Ten Commandments are ten statements. In fact, the Hebrew word used there is a ten word. Because <laughs> to them, the, that in, the entire you know, uh, phrase, if you will, the entire sentence was considered one utterance. Yeah. That's why in Hebrew it is ten words. Yeah. Now obviously when you read it in your French here, uh, in your <laughs> English here, <laughs> it is not literally ten words. Mm. But it's ten statements. Yeah. So those ten statements have a prelude to them. And the Lord spoke these words. This is the most important statement before anybody speaks about Ten Commandments. Do you know why? Because it's come from God and not from people? Because it comes from God. If these words, this commandment, did not come from God, they will not have the authority 
they have, they will not have the, the you know, they will not lay upon us the duty that it has. Mm. You see, morality imposes itself on us. Whenever you talk in terms of moral terms, you shouldn't do that. The question could be, said who? Yes. Because to every moral appeal, there is a an assumed authority that lays the duty on you. Yeah. You see, if there is no such authority to lay a duty on us, then I can dismiss any moral standpoint you have. I don't care. Yeah. You see, ethical monotheism was the idea that God laid this duty. It was not Moses. So Moses who laid it. No. If it was Moses, well, think about that. You know, anyone could have challenged him, like the people who challenged Moses during his reign. Who are you? Do you remember when Moses wanted to save uh, one of the Hebrew slaves who uh, was being bitten up by the Egyptians? So he killed the Egyptian and hide him in the sand. Yeah. And the next day, he finds two Hebrew slaves fighting. Mm. He just wants to, hey, boy, come on, guys, settle down. And one of the Hebrew slaves told him, who set you up to be a judge between us? Mm. You want to kill me as you killed the Egyptian last time? Yeah. That was enough for Moses to run for 40 years. Yeah, true. The man had asked a simple question of authority. Who gives you the right? Mm. Who do you think you are? Now, it is interesting that if God didn't speak these words, if they were spoken by Moses or by a council of elders or they were spoken by a government, they were spoken by a culture, you know, to, today, these days when you ask people, uh, look, uh, does right and wrong really exist? Well, um, it depends. Yeah, you're right and you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but, but my right and my wrong. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and people, people are serious. Like, you know, it's, you know, it depends. You yeah. know, each person should decide for themselves what is right for them and what is yeah. really. Yeah. But you see, if you decide what is right for you and I decide what is right for me, and the two come into conflict. We used to do this all the time. We used to go to universities, especially university students are the most naive you can ever find. Interesting enough, some of them come from Christian homes. They say, well, no, look, um, right and wrong really doesn't exist. It's somebody, everybody decides for themselves. Okay. In other words, we can't speak in moral terms. Right and wrong are moral terms. Yeah. And so, in that sense, uh, if Mine and yours collide. Who is to say? Mm. Which one is going to be the one that we're going to follow? That's exactly right. Mm. So I used to say to the student, what if I chose that it was right for me to take your laptop? Well, but that's, that's not all right. I'm like, what do you mean it's all right? According to you or according to me? Yeah. And often they go like, oh, you got me on that one. And then they might have a cha-ching moment. Like you are listening to us now, you think, well, duh. The law says that's stealing. Mm -hmm. right? You see, you have appealed to the legislator, the government. Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. You've appealed to the law, the law of the land. So we ought now to analyze whether the law of, land, of the land is good enough to tell us what is right. Well, and, and, and the thing around that is that the law of the land in a Western country is quite different to the law of the land in, say, an African or an Asian country exactly. where things are quite different. So w something we would think 
we shouldn't be shouldn't do is quite okay in another culture. Yeah. And so who is right from exactly. that point of view as well? So That's a good, it does, good it question matter. right there. Yeah, so within cultures we've got this problem, within people we've got this problem yep. when there is no real higher authority or they won't bow to that higher yep. authority. That's exactly and, right. Uh, and say, well, you know, this is, this is where law comes from. This is where it, it all comes from and we abide underneath this umbrella. That's a good thing to it's sort a, of matter. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And that's a really good question. All right, so we'll come back uh, for our final session and, uh, and we'll complete this little part of it after this great song on Life FM. You're listening to 105.1 Life FM, Bendigo's Positive Choice, and we are on the home run just for today anyway. And, uh, and well, I, I hope people are getting quite excited about where we're heading with this. Yeah. So we were talking about um, who sets the law. You you read that you know, and, and God spoke these words. Yes. Um, and it wasn't Moses. It wasn't a council. It wasn't a, a, you know, an individual. It was God who spoke these words. Yes. And therefore – what comes next is what we should be paying attention to. But we, as human beings, have decided that we we can do this ourselves. We've yeah. got our own mechanism of figuring out what's moral and what's not moral yeah. and that we we choose, if you like, what, what suits me suits me, what suits you suits you, yeah. that it's all okay. Yes, exactly. We'll just go with the flow. It's <laughs> <laughs> it, go with the flow until your flow is interrupted by someone else who doesn't agree with your flow. Absolutely. And then you go, oh. Mm. You see, even when people say, you know, it's, it's a matter of opinion, it's a matter of opinion on the small matters. What do you reckon? If your neighbor decided that, you know, they're going to come and take all your belongings and take your wife or your husband in the process as well with, with them and your kids, are you going to cry foul? Are you going to just say, this is wrong? You know? And so, as we were saying earlier, people say, well, this is wrong. I mean, what do you mean? Wrong for me and right for you? Or do you mean it's objectively wrong out here? Yeah. And if you're going to say it's objectively wrong out here, then said who? So, as we were finishing the last segment, uh, we said people will say, well, it's breaking the law. Mm. The assumption here is that the law is the source of right and wrong. But is it? Well, is the law the source of right and wrong? Yeah. Well, in in the current laws, I, I would say to you that um, it's not. Well, because it's actually not. Mm. You see, Aristotle said something quite profound. He said, "The law itself must be built on the necessary foundation of morality. Morality comes before the law. If the law is not set on the foundation of morality, it's itself unjust." Right. Think about it this way. Before you sort of go, well, look, the law is always right. Well, it's not. We can all remember the days, let's say in America, when slavery was the law of the land. Yes. You could buy and sell slaves. Slaves had nothing to say. They had no right. They were not even considered human. Mm. All right? Yeah. So what would you say? Well, you know, that was the law then. If the law is always right, then you can't even reform the law. You can't. You know, go up and say, well, this is unjust, let's change it. Because the law is the source of right and wrong. So you remember South Africa had this segregation, you know, apartheid. Yeah. Well, if, if the law is always right, why was, would Mandela be any, any, uh, any, any good person? Remember the Jim Crow laws in, in America. Why would Martin Luther King be a good person by challenging the law? You see, it is convenient for people to run behind the law when the law is on their side. 
right? Yeah. Is that right when we during the uh, the change in the marriage act? You know, people are like, well, but this law is not okay. I'm like, well, you've just some of you think the law is always right. Why are you not thinking the law must be changed? You see, we can have unjust laws. I'm not saying that the marriage law as it was was unjust. That one was just because it reflected the foundation of God's morality on sexuality. Yeah. And so I believe, and I'm happy to say it publicly, that the law we have right now on the books on marriage, which has been passed you know, uh, re- recently, is absolutely not right. No. Because it violates... God established order on the foundation of sexuality and marriage. Yeah. So that, that must be established that way. So what I'm therefore saying here is that the law itself can't be the source of right and wrong because the law can be wrong. If the law can be wrong, it means that there is something, some other standard above the law which could determine that the law is wrong. Yes. This is why we have moral reformers. Think about people like William Wilberforce who fought in England against you know slave trade and won. Yes. People like Martin Luther King, for example. People like, you know, Gandhi or people like, you know, um, uh, you know uh, Martin Luther King Jr. So the law is not always right. Yes. This is why when, before you pass the law, you always got to ask the question, is this right? And when you say, is this right, whose standard are you calling upon? Yes. Some may say, well, no, look, you know, each culture needs to decide for themselves. You know, we get together, we're a democracy, you know, if if twenty people, or if fifty percent of people agree, right? Okay, let's say for the sake of the argument, one day fifty percent or sixty percent of people in Australia agree that we should go back to buying and selling slaves. Should we? That's a good question. Yeah, yeah. Should we? Yeah, because the majority agrees. Yes, that's right. Well, you see, when you somebody appeals to culture, it's always funny. If you say, well, it depends on people's culture. Okay, some cultures like to take care of their, you know, elderly, and some like to, you know, send them off early. What do you prefer? Well, if somebody who came from a culture that, you know, killed their elderly before, instead of caring for them all until they naturally die, want to kill their elderly uh, quickly, uh, you know, if if somebody of that culture came here, and they like they're organizing to make sure that they they kill grandpa uh, or grandma. Yeah, well, I mean, in Indian culture, it was that if you couldn't go along when they moved from camp to camp, American Indians, um, they left them behind. So if you yep. were if you were injured, disabled, stay sick, there and die, and uh, yeah, elderly, yeah, yeah. You, you were left to die basically. Yeah. So it was only really the fit. Exactly, there was a survival, oh, survival of the survival fittest. Fit those fit, the, the ones <laughs> we that get were that fit one in a moment. Move, yes. So you can see that. If you go in a culture like that comes to Australia, you're going to say, well, look, hey, you're in Australia, you do follow our customs. Yes. You do it the Australian way. Yes. Fine. But if you are Australian and you go to that culture with your grandparents and they tell you, you are in our land right now and you should follow our t- traditions and, you know, kill your, grand- your, your, your let, mama let or papa die. or nana. Leave them behind, let them die. Yeah. yeah. What are you going to do? No, no, no. What are you exactly saying? That the Australian culture trumps every other culture? If it does, it's because you believe it's right. Yeah. And it's right above cultures. Yeah. See what I mean? And so if you think that it is culture that terms what is right and wrong, then you'll be already stuck into a, a, a problem there. Mm. You know, um, I was going to say that there's, there's, there's this, um, uh, there was a culture in, in India called Sati where when a husband dies, then the wife must die with 
the husband. So they oh, literally, okay. literally, yeah. yeah. The, the the British government banned that that custom. Mm-hmm. So if the husband dies, the wife is going to go in the tomb with her. And they, because they do, you know, they used to burn their dead. You could imagine they actually she's still alive and she goes put on to to die. Awful, yeah. horrible. Now, why would the British, when the, when the British were in India, they should have followed Sati? No, they told the people in India, this is horrible, this is wrong, this is unjust. So, and they abolished that, that particular custom. What I'm trying to say is, there are customs that align a lot more with the law of God, and therefore, that is a lot more moral than, you may say, but no, look, we evolved to become, no. <laughs> well, that one is even funnier, yes. because... You know, the animal kingdom right now does things that we humans don't do. Yeah. You know, when when the lion, the young lion decides he's going to take on his father, you know, so that he can become the head of the pride, it's a, it's a bloody battle. Yes. And the the father, if he loses, the father goes into exile and he dies alone. Mm. Should we do that? Before my father's gotten a bit, uh, he's now weary, let me take him to a duel, fight, and then take all the stuff, including my mother and my, my sisters, my everything. And so... That you're in exile. You for you, we can't do that. No. So where does morality come from as human? Yeah. In as human, what's the difference between what the lion does or the baboons? You know, when the baboons get into a fight over females, you should see. Mm-hmm. So I should go around town, see if I think I'm the strongest, and find every pretty girl, whether she's married or not, just be their husband and take them. Yeah. And have as many as I like. Yeah. Everybody go, but that's wrong, you see? Mm. Evolution doesn't do it. And so you've got, after all these options, only God can be the source of moral choices. And, yeah. and you're going to say, but I don't believe in God. That's not the question. It's not a matter whether you believe in God. Your belief is inconsequential. If there is no God, there will be no right and wrong for you to adhere to. Yes. Because it's the highest than human authority to be able to establish a certain standard uh, by which we... So this is why... Here in the book of Exodus, it starts with, and the Lord spoke these words. So that if there was anybody who had to challenge it, they'll say, hey, look, the Lord spoke these. The Lord established this. And by the way, why shouldn't he have the right to say it? God exists. If you don't believe he does, I've got an entire litany of arguments to show you he does. And so, if he created the universe, which he did, Genesis chapter 1 verse 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Uh, so he created everything. He is the right authority above humans to set the law. I was saying last Sunday, we, we humans are happy to play God all the time. Yes. But we don't want him to play God. So it's a matter of our rebelliousness. It's like every thief doesn't want the police to exist. <laughs> you know, when the thief is going to steal in the night, he'd rather there no, they be no police. Yes. Whether you like it or not, one day the police will show up and Catch the him. curtain shall close. And he'll be judged and he'll so be you in jail. Need, yeah, exactly. You mm. need to know that God set these commandments and if you don't abide by them, he can see everywhere and he will judge the dead and the living according to the laws he set. So you breaking the commandment does not let you go guiltless we were reading it there the lord doesn't let anyone go guiltless who breaks his law right no, that's right that's exactly right that's right well um we're actually going to launch in the into the 
commandments one at a time yes. at, from next week. It'll be so exciting. That's really exciting. So maybe I've our, studied this for years. Well, maybe our listeners can prepare themselves by reading that scripture yes. and have it sitting in front of them yep. so that when we come together uh, next week, we'll be able to launch straight into it. That's exactly Thanks right. again, Samuel, for, uh, for your insights today, and we'll catch everybody else again next week. That's right.